Uh, please do turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, as Nigel said at the start, this is the third Sunday of Advent. It's week three of our series Anticipate, and the whole purpose behind this series is, is designed to help us prepare for Christmas as we kind of get ready for the first Advent and the second for the first coming of Jesus, which is a past reality, and for the second coming of Jesus, which we've been singing about, which is a future certainty. Uh, and for a change, and we don't often do this at Windsor, but for a change this year, we've been following the kind of set Bible readings that are used by various church traditions during Advent 2019, which today on the 15th of December takes us back to Matthew's Gospel, and we've actually been using Matthew's Gospel during this whole series. And it actually also takes us back rather interestingly to John the Baptist, that wilderness preacher who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, and who came proclaiming and declaring and sharing a message that, as we saw last week, was the exact same message that Jesus came to proclaim. So in Matthew 3, we read this, what John says, and then in Matthew 4, we read the exact same words that Jesus shares. And this was the message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And what we said last week was, this was an invitation to change. It was an invitation to change for the better. And last Sunday, we, uh, we highlighted the importance of John the Baptist at this time of year, because not, all, not always is he recognized as important at this time of year. But we said he was important at this time of year for two reasons. The first is because of that rule that he had of being a forerunner to Jesus. But the second reason was because the other three gospel writers, Mark and Luke and John, all make reference to John the Baptist in their very first chapters. So as they begin to tell us the good news about Jesus, John the Baptist is featured in the first chapter of Mark, Luke, and John. And so one of the suggestions from last week that I threw out was I suggested you, that you might consider adding John the Baptist or a figure of John the Baptist to your nativity scene this year. So alongside Mary and Joseph and shepherds and wise men and animals and all the usual suspects, I said, why not add John the Baptist? Well, by Sunday afternoon, someone, one of you had done that and you sent me a picture and I want to share that with everyone this morning because it is just brilliant. And I, and I, want, to, I want to read what the person who sent me this said about their John the Baptist it's, he said this, he wears camel's hair clothes, a leather belt around his waist. He eats wild honey, and I don't know if you can see the little jar of honey in his hand. I mean, the detail in this is amazing. He baptizes in the River Jordan, which is why there's a bucket of water in front of him. Brilliant. And proclaims that the axe is ready. Do you remember last week that whole imagery of John saying about the axe that was going to cut down on fruitful trees? On, yeah, well... This person, there's the tree fall. This person has included the axe, and then they said, and now he has joined our nativity scene. I love this. And by the way, there is a prize for anyone who can guess whose nativity scene this is. Okay, now not now, 
But if you can guess whose nativity scene this is, you will win a prize. And also, for anyone else who has done something similar, and I know somebody said to me last week or said to somebody that we're going home to knit a John the Baptist to add to their knitted nativity scene, can you please send me your pictures? Be great. Okay, let's, uh, let's go to Matthew 11, uh, where we find John the Baptist in a very different place this week from where he was last week. So last week, if you were here, we met John in wide open spaces. He was in a desert. He was by the Jordan River, wide open spaces. Today, he's locked up in a prison cell and he's staring at four walls. And the reason that he's incarcerated is because he dared to speak truth to power. He dared to speak truth to power. You see, John the Baptist kind of insisted on sticking with his message. He kept calling people to repentance, but but that landed him in jail because powerful people such as kings don't like to be confronted with this idea that they might need to change. I mean, most people don't like to be confronted with the idea that they might need to change, but certainly powerful people don't like that message. They don't like the idea that they might need to do a 180. They might need to start heading in a different direction in their lives. Well, John shared that message with a king who didn't like it and so decided to throw him into prison until Herod, as it was, made up his mind what he was going to do with John. And so that's where we find him at the beginning of Matthew 11. And, And as we read our text, please listen out for a question. It's a surprising question. It's an honest question that John asks about the coming of Jesus. And as we often do, let's stand for the public reading of God's word. So this is John 11, and I'm starting at verse 2, the set reading for the third Sunday of Advent. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Fascinating. Please take a seat. How how do you deal with it 
whenever your expectations aren't met? How do you deal with it whenever your expectations aren't met? William Shakespeare said that expectation is the root of all heartache. But what happens whenever something or someone doesn't turn out as you anticipated? Doesn't do what you expected them to do. And you're left with a sense of disappointment. Maybe even frustration. You expected more. You definitely expected better than this. It's not the way it was meant to be. It was not the way you thought it would turn out. And therefore, you've got questions. Doubts. And that can be hard at the best of times with lots of different things and events and a people. And I'll guarantee we've all been there. With expectations we've had of events or of other people. But what happens whenever it's Jesus? What happens whenever Jesus doesn't turn out as you'd expected him to? Doesn't do what you thought he should do. So he doesn't answer that prayer. He doesn't deal with that situation. He, he doesn't change that person. He doesn't heal that relationship, that illness. He doesn't make life easy. It seems that, that John the Baptist had certain expectations of Jesus, but as he lay in a prison cell, he was left wondering, confused. And word filters through to him about what Jesus had been doing. And so look at verse 2. It says that John heard about the deeds of the Messiah. Now we have no idea how John in a prison cell heard about the deeds of the Messiah. But he did. But whatever John heard about what Jesus was doing, it left him with a question. In fact, it left him with two questions. Clearly, John was somewhat thrown, surprised by what he was told. Because given everything he said last week, Matthew chapter 3, given all that we looked at last week and what John had observed and said and witnessed, and also what happens at the end of Matthew chapter 3, which we didn't read in about that incident, where John baptizes Jesus, even though he didn't want to baptize Jesus because he didn't think he should baptize Jesus. And then there was that whole bit where the father speaks as the son comes out of the water and a dove descends and a voice says, this is my beloved son on whom I am well pleased. And John was part of all that. But now John's left with a nagging question. So he's gone from being pretty sure who Jesus was. This is the one. Remember last week he even said, listen, I'm not even worthy to hold his sandals. He is the one. Now this week he's asking, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? See, it appears John expected or, or thought Jesus would have been doing something else. 
Something different from what it turns out he was doing. In a moment, we'll look in detail at what Jesus said he was doing. But for John and for others as well, because note, this is plural. Should we expect someone else? This wasn't just an issue for John. Now, from Matthew 3 to Matthew 11, now it would seem John is not so sure. You see, for many, many people at that time who were waiting for the promised one, the promised Messiah, they were expecting a person to come, in a sense, all guns blazing, who was going to sort everything and everyone out. They were expecting a hero who would deal with the Roman authorities, the occupying enemy. They were expecting a no-nonsense king who wouldn't take any prisoners. They were expecting someone to come and judge, to judge anyone who got in their way. And maybe even as John reflected as he's lying in prison, maybe even as John reflected on what he said back in Matthew 3 about unfruitful trees being cut down and thrown into the fire and chaff being burnt up by unquenchable fire, maybe even John was sitting there thinking, how come I'm lying in prison and people like Herod are just getting away with it? Plus, Jesus, why? Aren't you coming to rescue me? I'm meant to be preparing the way for you. Well, we don't know for sure, but one thing we can be certain about, John had questions and doubts. Is Jesus the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? And I reckon there's more than a few of us here who have asked that question. Or questions like it at times, whenever we've felt disappointed, whenever we've felt disillusioned, whenever we have felt trapped, whenever we have felt that we're in a hard place, whenever we're confused, whenever we're frustrated, and we think, really? Really, Jesus? Are you the one? Well, we're not alone in our wondering and in our doubting and in our despairing at times. And John the Baptist isn't the only major Bible character who had questions or who almost gave up. Not saying John did, but there were others who almost gave up because they couldn't get their heads round the way it was. Remember Elijah, for those of you who've been following the Game of Thrones series? Do you remember Elijah in 1 Kings 19, after he had witnessed that amazing event on Mount Carmel, In chapter 18, in chapter 19, Elijah just wants to give up. In fact, Elijah wants to die. Doesn't want to go on. This is not what he expected. John asks the question, are you the one? But what is really important for us to get and see is that John directed the question at Jesus. And two, he didn't voice off to others. He didn't rant and rave at God in heaven. He didn't ask the question into thin air just to get it off his chest. John went to Jesus. Or rather, he sent his disciples to ask the question of Jesus because he was locked up. And that's really vital that we get this. Because it's exactly the same idea and principle that we come across throughout Scripture. For example, in the Psalms of Lament, 
Those prayers of angst and distress where many of the psalmists ask lots of questions of God. For example, where are you, God? How long, O Lord? Why do wicked people prosper? Why do I feel so spiritually dry and barren? Why, God, do you stand so far off? Why? So many questions we come across in Scripture. But every single time we come across them, those questions, the way John's was, are addressed to God. John addresses his question to Jesus. And we must do likewise. We must go to the one who did come. Even though there are times he's not what we expected. We think he ought to be doing something else, something different. It's so important that in our questioning, we go to Jesus. And notice how Jesus responds before we take time to consider what he says. There's no rebuke of Jesus. There's no sense of disappointment. There's no words of correction or condemnation. There's no how dare you. There's no what's the matter with you. There's no what kind of prophet are you, John? Jesus simply, and it seems lovingly, says this. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now we'll come back to that beatitude in a moment. But what you've got here is Jesus effectively and partly pointing John and his disciples to God's word. Now, don't mess this. Because what is Jesus doing here? He is referring to the prophets and particularly he's referring to Isaiah. And he's referring to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, which contains the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. And so Jesus is inviting John and others to hear and to see that Jesus is doing exactly what the Old Testament scriptures said the Messiah would do and came to do. And okay, it may and he may not fit many people's expectations. He may not fit everybody's expectation, but Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, the last and the least. And so he came to open people's eyes and open people's ears. He came to cleanse people. He came to heal people. He came to proclaim good news. And so Jesus pointed John to the word of God to discover and to realize what the Messiah was all about and what he was born to do. And although that may not be what people were after, This was God's plan. What Jesus was doing provided tangible evidence of his true identity. Jesus was doing exactly what God said he was going to do. And when you kind of step back and think about it, and think about all around, if you like, the life of Jesus, about his coming and his his living and his dying, so much of it seems unexpected. So much of it seems surprising. So much of it at times is even disappointing. Like, how come Jesus has to be born as a vulnerable baby boy to an unmarried virgin? How come Jesus has to become a homeless itinerant whose closest followers are fishermen and taxmen and deniers and betrayers? 
How come Jesus is beaten black and blue as a common criminal? How come Jesus is hung out to dry? How come he raises 72 hours after his crucifixion? So much about Jesus' stubborn expectations. But God's word reveals and declares, this is the one. He is the one. And John's disciples were invited by Jesus. Listen, go back and say to John, tell him what you've seen. Tell him what you hear. Help him to realize that what I'm doing is exactly what God said I would be doing. This is why the Father sent me. to open eyes, to open ears, to cleanse people, to heal people, to proclaim good news. And just as a slight aside, you see, for John the Baptist to discover more about Jesus, for John to discover that Jesus really was the Messiah, he had to rely on and he had to believe in the witness of others. He needed his friends to go and meet Jesus and then come back and tell him what they found and encountered and observed. And as at a certain level, that is still the way it works. That whenever someone needs or wants to find out more about Jesus, they require the input, they require the testimony, they require the story of others, not just once, not just for the first time, but they require people to keep going to others and sharing their story of Jesus and their experience of Jesus with them. Jesus instructed John's disciples to go back and tell John what they heard and saw. And for those of us who are Christians, who are Christ followers, that commission to go and share the truth of Jesus with others still stands. That's the way it works. And so Jesus, as he commissioned us, he says, listen, go. Go and share me with others. Go make disciples of all nations. Go and tell them what I commanded you to do. And surely I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. But Jesus still encourages people to go back and tell others about who he is. But back to this beatitude. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble. Is that not a word of encouragement to John? Is that not a word of encouragement to take back to incarcerated John? I know there is a sense and a note of warning here, but primarily it's an encouragement. To John the Baptist and to everyone else who has ever had similar questions and doubts, an encouragement, listen, remain faithful, no matter what may come. That, that word stumble, by the way, can be translated fall away or take offense. And so what Jesus was saying is, blessed is anyone who does not follow, fall away. Blessed is anyone who does not take offense on account of me or because of me. You see, honest to God questions and open and intriguing doubts are not to be ignored. They're not to be minimized or shut down. There are times whenever Jesus, his person and his teaching will leave us scratching our heads and wondering and confused. Jesus, are you the one? But those like John who ask questions and still believe in them, who still stay focused on him, who still remain faithful to him, Jesus says, see if you do not stumble. See if you do not fall away. See if you do not take offense because of me. You are blessed. 
It's almost as if Jesus knew some of his followers would fall away and that is what happened in scripture as we read. Some of his followers would stumble on account of him. It was a real and a present danger and so he just turns around and he affirms those who don't. Plus it's probably worth remembering that later on in scripture, the apostle Peter confirms that you see in terms of those who blatantly don't believe, Jesus is a stumbling block. For anyone who doesn't believe, Jesus is a stumbling block. But that's not the issue here. John did believe, and he's got questions, and it's okay to ask the questions. And so Jesus encourages John, and he encourages his disciples, and he encourages us by pointing out that those who do not stumble as they ask their questions are blessed. Don't let your unmet expectations of Jesus trip you up. So John's disciples then leave, and they go back to tell John what he said, and unfortunately, we don't get to listen in on what that was like. I would love to have been there. I would love to have heard how John reacted. But as, Jesus is, but as John's disciples go back to tell John what Jesus has said, Jesus then turns around, because a crowd is gathered, as often happens, a crowd is gathered around Jesus, and so Jesus turns around to the crowd as the disciples of John go back to John, and Jesus talks to the crowd about John, about how he was the one that the Old Testament prophet Malachi said would come and prepare the way for him. And then Jesus says a couple of striking things about John the Baptist. And again, he affirms him, and he encourages him. He's not disappointed with him. He's not angry with him. He says this, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, in other words, among those who are human, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Boy, that is some reference, especially from, from Jesus. Plus, if it's true, if, if Jesus is true here, if, if there is no one greater than John, then the fact that he questioned and he doubted it would seem is surely an encouragement to us. That if the greatest human being or one of the greatest human beings who ever lived can have questions and doubts, there's hope for me. And then Jesus goes on to say something else. Still speaking to the crowds. He says, yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Now this is tricky to understand. Let me attempt to explain. See, John the Baptist had a very explicit call and rule. As we heard Malachi confirmed it, he was to prepare the way for Jesus. And he did that. John was faithful to his calling. And therefore, Jesus says, none born of women's greater. But at the core of his message, he declared, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And with the arrival of Jesus, that new day had dawned. John was pivotal, pivotal in getting people ready for this new day. But from here on in, those who entered the new kingdom brought in by and brought about by Jesus were considered greater. Now don't get too distracted 
about who is the greatest because the disciples often made that mistake. But the major point is that since the first advent, it was up to John to prepare the way for Jesus. But since the new advent, the kingdom of heaven, because Jesus has come near, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The king has come. And those who are now, and from here on in, are now part of his kingdom, find themselves in this amazingly privileged position of being considered by Jesus to be greater than John the Baptist. And so for those of us who sit here this morning, who are followers of Jesus, and part of his kingdom, no matter how you feel about yourself, what you think about yourself, take a moment to absorb the truth that you are greater than John the Baptist. I need to finish. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who came. And although at times our expectations of him are not always met, and although at times our understanding of what Jesus is doing or should be doing or could be doing isn't always right, it's okay to be honest about that. It's okay to be vocal with your questions. But please, Go to Jesus with those questions. Go to Jesus with your doubts. Go to Jesus with your angst. And then listen to what Jesus says. And we have what Jesus says. And we can listen and we can engage and we can hear what Jesus says. And listen to the testimony of others. Whose story speaks of Jesus and what he's done in their lives. And in all of this, be blessed as you avoid stumbling. And be blessed because you are great.